No, I think it's it's a good approach. It's just as a interviewee, since I don't often get interviewed, uh, I don't have anything of that nature. I'm pretty open, and and there's nothing that I feel like I would not be happy to talk about. So. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Thunk, a podcast about the mechanical keyboard hobby and what makes it talk for an unnecessary amount of hours. My guest this episode is a mechanical keyboard enthusiast that has the longest-lasting podcast in our community. He is the host of the board, creator of the Down Bubble, as well as other very interesting projects, a tinkerer at heart, and is currently sleep-deprived due to a new addition to his family. Don, welcome to the talk. Sorry, man, I had Thank to do you. this one because I love that intro. So, yeah. <laughs> I, actually, I didn't even ask. Uh, should I be calling you Vergon? Yes. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, that's it, man. That's how it is. Uh, well, thank you very much, Vergon, for having me here on the Thok. It's been actually quite an effort to get me on, hasn't it? It is, it is. But you you live on the other side of the, of the world for me, so... You know, it is how it is, right? We we need to f figure it out. But, but yeah, I'm glad you're here now. And finally, we were able to 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 schedule this. We've been trying to schedule this for a long time, but you know, I'm happy that is happening now, right? Yes. So, yes. Uh, as you as you probably are aware, we always start with the most usual and cheesy question of them all. But what got you into the mechanical keyboard hobby to start with? Well, it's funny because I don't actually mention this a lot. I have said it a couple of times in previous uh, episodes on my own podcast. But the reason why I got back into mechanical keyboards, I suppose, is the best way of describing it, is I started a new job. So I'm old enough that I used to use mechanical keyboards at school and at home. Uh, and it would have been probably in the 1990s that when I was in high school, rubber dome keyboards really sort of came into effect. I remember going into the classroom, the computer classroom in year eight, and it was just a cacophony of sound because people were still typing on buckling spring keyboards. And then in year nine, it was this amazing change uh, because the school had received these Honeywell keyboards and they were the rubber domes. And the computer teacher, uh, Doc was his name, was like, I love these keyboards so much because I can hear. <laughs> so I used to use mechanical keyboards when I was much younger. And in fact, I had a micro B uh, back in the day, which was our home computer. And that too had a mechanical keyboard. Sadly, we threw it out <laughs> when we moved a long, long time ago. So I don't have that. But in 2014, I started a new job as a technical writer at the company that I currently work at now. And when you're a technical writer, you know, you're, you're hammering away on a keyboard all day long because you're writing documentation all day long. And my team lead, who sat on the other side of the cubicle in our cubicle farm, had a mechanical keyboard. And I was like, what's that sound? And I couldn't figure it out for like the first day or so. And then I was like what's making that sound? And he was like, oh, that's just my mechanical keyboard. And he had a DAS 2 in MX Blues. And I thought, that's really cool. And I started looking around and I was trying to understand what that actually was. Because when I was in year eight, I had no idea what a mechanical keyboard was. But now as an adult, you know, with the internet and I came across the subreddit, I was like, that's really cool. And I wanted to know more. So that was really my gateway back into it. I made a conscious decision to purchase one after a lot of research because my typing is non-standard in the sense that I touch type, but I don't touch type classically with my fingers in the right place. I rarely use my pinky fingers for yeah, the alphas. I, I only ever mean. use it for the mods. Uh, and I spacebar with my left hand and things like that. It's really a self-taught hybrid touch type scenario. Yeah, it, like me. Yeah, exactly. It's th that type of touch typing that is not the perfect and learned touch, touch typing, but just because you've done it so much, you know how to touch type just on your own way. <laughs> yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but as a technical writer, one of the issues that 
I was discovering because I was typing at constant speed. Because uh, normally when you're at home or if you're writing emails, or whatever, you don't end up in a in a rhythm or cadence of typing. And talking to people who code, unless if they're on an absolute flow and they know what they're coding, they also don't type for extended periods of blocks of writing because you're going to code a little bit and you're going to put in your commands and your strings and everything else, but then you're going to stop and think and you're going to review your code. Yeah. With a lot of the work that we do, we get markups. So it's like red pens on pages and we're essentially converting them into the actual final product. So there's solid amounts of typing. And I was discovering that I was double tapping letters and I was also having capitalization issues. So if I was trying to write a word, I would actually end up capitalizing the first two letters because of the speed and sequencing of how my fingers were typing. Yeah. So I read about that mechanical keyboards could potentially change your type patterns and having the tactile and audible feedback helps reduce some of those errors because you're not going to go and move on without hearing that click or feeling that bump to know that you've actually completed that press, if that makes any sense. It makes, yeah, uh, it does, it does, yeah, yeah. So your brain, your brain would would uh, would it register it differently? Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, and and there's a bit of processing time in that because I was actually looking to slow down my typing speed for better accuracy. Because in the long run, better accuracy actually improves your consistent typing speed as opposed to your raw typing speed. You don't Correct. have to go back and fix errors and things like that. Uh, so there was no stores around for me to actually try, and the only option I had was to try my team leads keyboard and I quite liked the blues and the sound was amazing and it felt fine so I ended up purchasing a ducky legend in black with the white backlit LEDs in MX blue and I actually use that keyboard for a number of years so that's what got me into mechanical keyboards again from a utilization point of view and I didn't really fully go down the rabbit hole until a bit later when I was just like, you know what, there's actually more to this than owning the keyboard, um, you know, like getting custom keycaps and all that kind of stuff. So On, on that note, that's, that's, that's actually our, our next question, right? So when did you actually yourself realize that you had taken the, that red pill, right, and, and had gone really into the, to the rabbit hole of, of the, the keyboard hobby? <laughs> so... I started this job uh, in May of 2014 and I I kind of got into the rabbit hole because of expensive artisans in probably middle, late 2015. So it was close to a year. What okay. had happened there was I had purchased a set of Taihao OEM uh, yellow keycaps because the keycaps on the Ducky Legend in the black were obviously black and I swapped them out to become like a black and white bumblebee keyboard. And artisans back in those days in 2014, 2015 were very limited. We're talking about like bro caps, we're talking about hunger work studio caps, we're talking about um, uh, killed with keycaps you know, hot keys projects, some of the absolute classics, but they were horrendously expensive from my point of view. It was like $50, $70, $80 a single artisan back in those days because we just did not have the community or the market scope for prices to come down remotely, even for simple artisans, for blanks even. So I saw a tutorial on GeekHack about casting your own artisans with resin now back then i was married didn't have a kid and our income was relatively disposable because of that and we had space had space and means to do it had time yes to do yes, it. indeed yeah <laughs> so i bought a single tub of silicon and a 200 ml bottle of resin I got some craft sticks and, you know, bought some gloves, had Lego available to me and my 3D printer at the time, 
and I attempted to cast my own keycaps. And that's kind of when I slipped into, into the hole. The hole. And, yeah. <laughs> and I I was able to make really crappy keycaps, you know. And I refined my process. And there was an imager post that was uh, that I created about my journey of trying to make a mold and create keycaps and stuff like that. And the response against that was really great. And somebody was like, oh, you know, if you were able to make this and in that color, I'd like to buy one. And I was like, oh, hey, like, this is actually something I could do legit. And I ended up fully falling into that rabbit hole in that period, making uh, Rag Artisans, Rough as Guts was my sort of inverted commas brand then. And I probably would have made a couple of hundred keycaps during that period. So there's there's actually some people out there who still have them, and it's so long ago now that if anybody was to to display and show off those, people would probably wouldn't even know where they came from or who made them. Yeah. Uh, so that was really when I fully fell in. But then when my daughter was born, that's when the podcast came about in 2016 because I was working from home for a period of time and I was staying up late helping out with looking after her and feeding her and all that kind of stuff. And I was chatting to the uh, American folk. Back then we were on Slack rather than on Discord. And it sort of just brewed this idea of, hey, there's no keyboard podcasts still active at the moment because there used to be. Uh, It was Jack uh, Humbert from OLKB and they had a keyboard podcast, The Board Makers, but it was very intermittent it was on and off and it had stalled and everything else and we were like oh we could totally do this had enough people some cool ideas and topics uh so we launched it we launched it in august that year and a week later top clack started as well with brian huey and bector so that that was like a golden age i think uh, of us oldies (laughs) kicking off do you think would you would you say that 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 was the golden age? Do you think that nowadays we are probably uh, on a lower age in in terms of of that content creation? I, I feel that there's a lot of content creation, but again, a lot of it is just uh, you know build streams, etc. Do you think that at that time there was more of a of that spirit of a new thing and and you know new how do you say new horizons and stuff like that? I actually do think from that 2016 to 2018 period, those two years was very much the dawn of the mechanical keyboard revolution. Uh, Revolution might be too strong a word because there was not a lot of OEMs out there. There was not a lot of Chinese clones. Uh, There wasn't the period where Taobao was king of cheap uh, versions of things. We didn't have a lot of artisan makers, cable makers, you know, case makers, like that was really when those things started to come through. Even in that period, like Zeal wasn't big and we had a lot of small backyard home garage enthusiasts who were doing stuff. They weren't talking to OEMs. They weren't getting products made under their own name. And GMK sets for example, in signature plastic sets, were still super highly prized because, you know, JTK and, um, you know, EPBT and all of those kind of things weren't a thing yet. So we had a lot of speed bumps along the way in that period too, simply because people were still finding their feet and developing how they could produce artisans and how they could you know, do group buys better and make new custom cases. Korean customs in that period were still king. And now that's no longer the case, right? There's so many more options. And especially now, you know, like with uh, Glorious Master Race coming out with their 75% this week has just been like, I wouldn't say a a game changer. Yeah, that was a game changer. Yeah, that was $160. Well, I don't want to call it a game changer. No, no, no. I know what you mean, but, but, you know, $160 $160 for a gasket mount, etc. 75%. You know, the, it is uh, a big uh, a big thing at the moment. Again, and we can say that, yeah, it's not the same quality as, you know, 
other higher end boards, but but at the same time, it is an amazing um, entry level for anyone that wants to start on it. It's actually curious, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think it's a it's a milestone for yeah. the hobby because we're seeing more and more investment from companies because they've realized that the market is actually sufficiently established. You know, I remember when Reddit subreddit for mechanical keyboards hit 200,000 members and they were like, oh my God, we've hit 200,000 members. Hooray. You know, so. <laughs> yeah. Now we're at what? 500 more than. Uh, I think, now, right? I think quite a lot more. more than that maybe, yeah. but in any case, you know, so I think that's that period, that two year period was really the ramp up of the community going, we can do this. It's like, I used to watch tiny makes things on her Twitch stream, playing with Sculpty and doing like single keycaps and commissioned ideas and stuff like that, right? And now she's a huge artisan maker as well. So there's a lot of people in that period who really jumped in headfirst and went, let's do something and see where we can end up, right? Some of them aren't in the community anymore and actively doing things like Jay Chan, for example. You know, some of them have kind of fall along the side and aren't as big players compared to what they used to be, like Originative Co. You know, them and the Tada at the time was huge, right? It's one of the most popular and well-recommended keyboards, but the Tada 68 now is... Yeah. It's still a great board, but there are other options which are competing against it, right? Correct. In that sense. Um, and things like that. So speaking about boards, right, and, and that, what are you currently typing on? So at the moment, with the whole COVID situation, I've ended up typing on four keyboards, uh, incidentally. <laughs> mm-hmm. At home, my daily driver on my personal PC is my old classic. It's uh, a Philco Magis Touch 2 with MX Blues. It's a stock base board, but I had swapped it out with its keycaps from the OEM keycaps to the Mix eDrug, although I think they call that the uh, MDA profile now yeah. mm-hmm. but I, I purchased that and reviewed it as the original e-drug set when i'm in the office uh, i used to use my vea clone which i purchased from Taobao, but then i swapped that out for a variety of boards over the last couple of years and right now what i do actively use at work is my own custom keyboard the down bubble yeah, however the down bubble, the down bubble. However, when I'm traveling for work, and when I say inverted commas traveling at work, I have an office desk, but I have to go between different buildings on a constant basis and different sites at time to time. I have my Leopold FC660C that I take with me if I know I'm going to be away from my desk for extended periods because it's a great travel board and top ray, really lovely. When I'm working from home with my work laptop, uh, I'm actually using a 96 key from Taobao, and it's a piece of junk. (laughs) 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 So if you've seen the video on YouTube about it, um, I bought the PCB from Taobao. It's one of those bent steel plate things. I put box navies on it, and they're cap crackers, but that was before cap crackers was known to be a problem yeah exactly yeah so on the time that no one had a clue that they would that 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 would actually damage your keycaps right but thankfully i didn't have a lot of money to spend on group buys and i wasn't really in that group buy scene for keycaps i completely furnished it with uh, grab bag keycaps so i had signature plastic grab bag keycaps and it's fully fleshed out with a set of dsa vomit on it so and and that works really well Except for the fact that, and if you have seen the video, you'll you'll know exactly about my frustrations on this. Whoever created this clone of a PCB had no idea what they were doing because they were not a keyboard person. <laughs> they didn't put the footprints in the right orientation for <laughs> um, for the actual numpad enter and plus sign. Uh, that's good so what what that means is that the holes 
were not rotated correctly to the actual pads. Um, when you put it in through the actual plate, they don't line up correctly. Oof. So I actually had to flatten the pins to get it into the physical drill holes. And then I had to get diode legs through the pad holes and then melt enough solder so it would wick down into to the, the hole yeah. <laughs> to connect it. <laughs> uh, so that board is is uh, a little bit munted. So when I do actually type on that, I, I actually use the normal enter and I don't use the plus sign. It, it's funny you mentioned about Philco's, right? I have two of them. I have a full size and I have a, a TKL. Uh, it's a, it's an amazing board for for what it is. It's a tank, you know. My my ones I've desoldered them like three times. Uh, the three times I did without an actual desoldering gun was with a you know a, a five sucker. quid pump. Yep. Right, solder sucker. And the, those things last, you know. They had pads lifting off from the top side because I I wasn't, uh, you know patient enough and i pulled the switch and the pad but those things the pcb still works and it's amazing i, I actually find them the only thing with them for me that that, are, that is horrible is about oh obviously costar right costar stabs but hey you know it, it is what it is but but they're they're actually quite nice boards for quite quite good quality for for what they are to be honest you know i, I actually like them too a lot yeah no i hate i hate costars i hate them so much um, yes. Well, I hate stabs. <laughs> I hate every stab there is. It's not only co-stars. I hate every single stab that exists until someone comes up with something good. I just hate them. But that's that's how it is, right? This this Philco is actually my second Philco because I I so both of these Philcos I bought secondhand because I'm I'm a tight ass. So the first like one me. I bought yeah. was a F uh, a Magis Touch One, incidentally, and it died on me because. There was actually a spill and corrosion issues, but the seller didn't tell me anything about that. So I don't know if they had done it or if I'd bought it third hand and they didn't even know that somebody had spilt something on it. I ended up uh, actually trying to fix it, but at that time I didn't have enough knowledge or experience. And I ended up hand wiring that Philco to a Teensy 2 Plus. So <laughs> uh, it's actually sitting in its case and disassembled. I haven't snapped the case back together simply because I was trying to get a long enough USB mini B cable connector that I could plug into the Teensy inside the case and then hot glue it down in and snap it together so it would stay wide because I couldn't get the Teensy to line up with the hole. So, yeah, yeah that's like a backup Philco of mine now. Now, on another note, right? So, um, do you even small, right? So, what is your favorite layout in the end, and why is that? What 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 would you you say is your favorite layout? Do I do I even small? So I I actually have a minivan, courtesy of Evan from the Van Keyboard, because he sent it to me for Secret Santa a number of years ago. Uh, I I was absolutely flabbergasted at his generosity, and I attempted to small for a couple of uh, times and alphas are fine and some of the basic non-alphas are okay as well because of layers i can operate single layer is okay but in order to have a full keyboard i essentially have to be double or triple layer on the minivan and while it does work i'm too slow to be effective for work so i've kind of put that aside as really just a, a play around thing that's where my limitations are on that because old dog new tricks and trying to memorize layers is is a challenge for me. In terms of favorite layer, I don't really have one, but I am muscle memory to a staggered ANSI. Uh, that's that's mm. how I've always typed. ISO is okay, but ANSI is is definitely my preferred. When I switched to the VEA clone and I started the split keyboard journey, that was actually really interesting because it's still a staggered ANSI. And that's where I discovered my typing quirks about uh, Y and B. 
I didn't realize that yeah. I was actually typing B with both hands at the time. You type it with both hands. I, I type it with my right hand. And then, and I understand why, for instance, uh, uh, what's the name of the board that has two Bs, right? The Alice that has two Bs. I understand why they have the B there because a lot of people use the, the B with the right hand, which you shouldn't if you're going into the... Oh, you don't know how to type. You should type B with your <laughs> left hand, right? But, but yeah, we all do it differently. That's how, but the right. Alice isn't even the first board that's done it. Because back in the day, the Delta Split 75, which I actually have a set of PCBs, but I've never built it because I didn't have enough switches because I was a dumbass. And I was like, oh, it's a 75. <laughs> I'll just buy 75 switches. No. Um, no it needed yeah. more than 75 <laughs> switches. I actually exactly. bought the same thing as sixty, right? People think, oh, sixty, I'll buy sixty. No, you don't it's seventy-two. Buy, you need to buy so you're going to get caught out yeah. on that. But yeah. see, so I bought some MX tactile grays for it, and I still have not built that keyboard because I still have not bought enough tactile grays to fill out that keyboard. So that actually, the PCB design on that one was really interesting because it gave you the option of two Bs, and you would snap off whichever side of the B that you didn't want. That's curious. The the case design files that they produced with it did not account for the fact that people would want to keep both Bs because it was designed that you could push the two halves together to form a standard board. If you wanted to edit it yourself so that you could keep both Bs, then that was entirely up to you. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. So, I actually 3D printed a case an open case, essentially, which allowed you to mount the PCB and it would have both Bs on it. Uh, so, you know, that that was a really interesting journey because I would just have my fingers plummet into nowhere. I'd just be typing and then suddenly I'd be like, whoop, like my finger went into fat air because I was trying to type a key that wasn't there. So I know exactly the feeling because I, I, I have, uh, you know, again, because of you, because of the podcast uh, of... of uh, of the board, I won the the prize, and and um, Danny sent me a sink, right? You know, yes. Split sink, right? Yes. Uh, and I and I started using it, and I found myself going with my finger into the middle where the B should should go, and just touching the 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 table, right? Going like, oh no, it, nothing there. No, it's on the other side. Yeah, uh, and no and exactly that's exactly the feeling. But you get used to that, and you know, exactly you, you train. It's curious, yeah. Used, I've used it like for like two weeks, and at, at a certain point, I was going with my left hand to the B, and then I changed it back to my sixty percent. And now, obviously, I go back to to the right hand and the B on the right hand. But but it's so funny how your mind just uh, adapts to, to things. It it, it it is really curious, right? <laughs> our our brains are very malleable in that way. They are. They are. So yeah. so you know, and I've also attempted to use the Ergodox. So I have an Ergodox uh, kit that I built and uh, that was that was a fun build. I've actually built a couple of Ergodoxes now, but the Ergolumna style, unfortunately, I just was not able to get used to. And unfortunately, this was the time our recording bot decided to go out for a cup of tea. So if you feel Don's answer to be short, you can blame it on Craig. So let's continue. So do you like them stiff or do you like them wiggly? And that could be a very double-edged question, but basically is, what is your favorite keyboard mounting style? I honestly haven't had a lot of opportunity to uh, play around with keyboard mounting styles. I'm very, I suppose, uh, at the whim of whatever is sent my way or has come my way is probably the best way of describing it. With the boards that I've built and owned, the majority of them tend to be cheaper boards, OEM boards, uh, boards that I review are normally in that space, especially if it's come from, say, like Banggood, they'll be tray mount. My own down bubble is technically uh, integrated plate. So, you know, whereas I don't really have the funds and finances to get into a lot of customs to experience the gasket mount and all sorts of really fun and game stuff. I have reviewed the boards, but I don't really get the true longevity use of it because I don't review them in that way. I often do pretty much a first impression. This is how it feels and the sensation of it. I'm hesitant to make long-term calls about it 
simply because everybody's experiences in those kinds of things are very subjective. So I remember having the EXT65 to to play with and build for um, AE boards, and you know that was a gasket style board. But at the same time, I only basically used it for a couple of hours after I built it and played around with it, and it was like, you know, I'm not distinguishing a major difference. I didn't change out the gasket materials from the silicon to the poron to you know other things, and I think. It's it's one of those things where I'm my opinions when I look at stuff is only to lead you and give you the breadcrumbs on what you might expect. And I don't right. want to be down that pathway for people to be like, oh, well, you know, he said that, but, um, you know, that's not what I'm experiencing. That's not what I'm feeling. Because I feel that too many people give their opinions and uh, reviews and observations on boards in absolutes. The The biggest thing about where people go, oh, what's the most something something, right? And somebody yeah. goes, oh, it's this one. Like, oh, yeah, exactly. No, no, it's not. Well, it could be, but that's for you. It's very subjective. It's your fingers, you know, it's your ears, it's your nerve endings. Like, so... It's your preferences and how you define, for example, tactility and switches. And when somebody talks about mushy things or, oh, there's a lot of flex on that plate and this mounting style is like really bouncy. Well, who has ever measured it objectively? And and that's one of the things that gets really challenging because it's so subjective. You're telling me that the keyboard hobby is subjective? No. Really? (laughs) (laughs) And a lot of people don't get that. They don't understand it. And they're always like, I want to have the best this. I want to have the most that. And But what does that mean? What does that mean to who? Very simple. Get a key coat with creams. Done. And that's it. And and you don't need anything else. That's apparently what (laughs) everyone says. Right? Well, the best keyboard is a PCB with nothing else. Right? No plate, nothing. Everyone's just baseline and... Or Correct. just get a rubber dome, right? No, no but even that, then you would have to... But what switch are you putting on it? Oh, it's not tactile. Oh, you're part of a linear gang. Oh, but no, only pad. Oh, no. <laughs> you know how it is. But anyway. Right. On that topic, right? And you, you mentioned a bit about it, because, and I know that you... Uh, with regards to down bubble, but question is, ergo what, bruv? So what are the limits of the ergonomics to you? Do you go like full splurgo split or do you prefer, you already mentioned a bit that you like a staggered, uh, but do you like the ErgoDoc side of it? Would you consider just using that in the future? So I mentioned ErgoLumna and if you're not familiar with that phrasing, uh, you've got author keyboards, which are a grid layout. You've got ergonomic keyboards, which are essentially either rotated or separated in some way because it's considered more ergonomic. And then you've got column numna, which are where you have keys that are lined up in the vertical fashion in columns, but they're staggered in the horizontal orientation, right? And then you've got the mix of that, which ergolumna is where things like the ergodox exist because it's a columnar layout but they're split separated or rotated in some way things like the atrius is also um you know ergolumna um and there are other boards that sort of fit that fashion things like the dactyl or the maniform start to get even further away from that because it's not in a flat plane because they've got curvature to it like maltron boards and kinesis advantages and things like that yeah for me the stagger which is what i'm you know old dog new tricks about is simply because of the ANSI stagger right splitting it and rotating it into a ergonomic form i will be able to operate like there's no issues for me there so with the vea being a split board separating it you know near wide it doesn't matter i can type on that tenting it and orientating it into a positive or a negative angle 
I can still type on that because the movements for my fingers directionally are essentially the same. It's just the orientation of where my arms are relative to my body. Correct. Moving away from that into a columnar or ortholinear fashion is where I get thrown out because I end up hitting edges of keycaps because I haven't learnt that muscle memory of where my fingers and need to go direction wise and the yeah, distance same, that it has yeah. to go. Same thing yeah. with me. Ortho just throws me off because of that because your your you know your your mind is thinking and your muscle memory thinking you go there but then no it's not there it's actually directly below so yeah it's 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 complicated but yeah let's see what you mean so you know the only ortho thing that does work for me is the numpad because that's what i was trained on um so i use numpad a lot faster than numro and for my work i often type a lot of numbers typically 16 digit sequences uh for part numbers and things like that so numpad is life <laughs> yes, yes <laughs> that's why yes, I see what you mean. Yeah, that's why yeah. the damn bubble has a numpad right so um now we are going to go with, with the you know the more more um direct questions for you but uh so first first thing is that it's unavoidable that we pick up on the subject of the podcast first right because we are currently in one right Uh, and you are actually the person that has the longest-running podcast of the keyboard hobby. Four years, which is crazy, right? For now. Um, yeah, for now. And let's hope that it makes it to 10. Uh, but, you know, you touched a bit about it, of how you started it and why. Uh, but my question would be more of why a podcast in the end? Uh, I think... The reason why we decided to go with a podcast was because there was a convenience factor of low entry requirement. Uh, you just need a microphone and something to record with. And open source recording software was available to us uh, through you know, Audacity and things like yeah. that. And anybody can record with any kind of microphone, including an iPhone earbud microphone which was even one of the things that was used by a number of people in the early days which had terrible quality but it still worked yes so it was a very easy entry type of space the other thing that i had input into when we were hashing this this out on the slack was that podcasts as a medium are far more flexible for the listener uh, what i mean by that is It's like radio, and often, in Australia at least, on, on free-to-air radio channels, they have ads about advertising on radio, and everything that they say is true, in that when people are doing other things and they're listening to something, they're actually more engaged, because they're consciously choosing to listen to your content. Okay. Correct. I, I cannot say, again, uh, sorry to cut you off, but uh, yeah. I'm a, I'm a big advocate of podcasts too and radio because yeah I'm, I come from that time too, uh, but yeah I, I it's exactly what you mean is that if people want to hear it they want to hear it, and as soon as they just you know uh, be it at work being it on on its phone when they lock the phone they put it on the pocket and they hear it they're hearing you because they want to it's not something that you know yeah I, I totally agree with yeah. And and the other thing about podcast medium, I suppose, is it itself can be the distraction, right? The the level of concentration required to listen to a podcast is very different compared to, say, a video medium, because when you talk about things, you have to be active in that engagement. You can't hold up something and go, this, right? Whereas in the video medium, a picture paints a thousand words, right? You can go, oh, check this out, right? And hold up this thing. But now in a podcast, you might have to work a little bit harder in describing what that is, but it brings that clarity to the listener. Whereas if you hold up an object in a video and go, you know, like, check out these curves, you know, I don't think they're very good. What does that even mean? Like, you can even leave it at that. But on a podcast medium, you can be like, So, you know, I don't think the curves on this is very good because of X, Y, and Z and, you know, A, B, and C. You have to do that because you can't actually show them the object. 
Correct. The yeah. other thing is podcasts are more flexible in the context that people can listen to you while driving, while riding a bike, while walking, you know, to and from work, while exercising, walking their dog. You know, I get people who have told me in the past that they put on the podcast while they're doing the dishes or while they're soldering or, you know. And the other thing, too, is you can listen to podcasts at all sorts of speeds. It's very common that people listen to podcasts at one and a half or two times speed because while you lose audio quality and fidelity, it doesn't matter. As long as you can hear and understand, like if I sound like a chipmunk, who cares? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. We all sound sound like chipmunks then, but yeah, but exactly <laughs> that. You you get the um, you get the message right. As long as long as you understand the message, yeah, that's it. Yeah, right. you you get the content right. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you are trying to do that, well, you can't do that on a stream because streams are well, okay, on live streams you can't because it's obviously live. If it's a video on demand, you may miss something because you're losing frames. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And video requires two forms of your senses. You have to listen to what's going on and you have to look at what's going on. And if you're not looking at what's going on, then what's the point of it even being a video? So it's you can't do that. And it reduces your capacity because obviously, you know, you shouldn't be watching stuff if you're driving. Uh, You shouldn't be watching stuff if you're riding a bicycle you could do it while you're walking but you might run into things or get run over (laughs) so you know there's there's certain limitations on it being a video format even if it's video on demand so they they were the primary considerations um and also i guess in terms of being able to have interviews with people podcasting works better if you were desperate that you wanted to talk to somebody and you couldn't do it live to record, you could potentially send them questions and they could record their answers and response and you could splice that in and all that kind of stuff, which we never actually went down that path, by the way. But it gave us better options compared to a video format. Makes sense. Yeah, exactly. So in your time of making podcasts and in the hobby, right, in four years, a lot has changed in the keyboard community, you know, as well as in your private life, obviously. But how have your interests in the hobby changed and evolved in that journey? You know, we, we enjoy something that we, you know, at the start and then we shift our interest. And you mentioned that by saying that you start doing artisans and then stuff like that. But, you know, we know to quote Portal, the cake, is, the cake or in our case, the end game is a lie so how however how i have your your interests changed in that that those four years and in this in this route on on the podcast well i think you sort of captured that quite well in the introduction on tinkering and i'm a very hands-on person in general i like to do stuff with my hands building keyboards was a natural progression and designing and making keyboards kind of flows on from that so you know i've designed obviously my own custom keyboard i've designed macro pads i've built stuff for other people and i like to tinker around and that space is it's less so impacting on the podcast as such but it's just more topical that i can talk about projects as they occur Uh, for the youtube channel content though that's where things have really shifted a lot more these days in that I'm more interested in the hands-on and what I can do and show the community what they can do. And I think that distinguishes me from a lot of other channels. Now, that's both a positive and a negative thing, but my YouTube content, my podcast content isn't there to make money, okay? It's not a marketing platform for me it's not designed to be an income stream i have a full-time job i have a family and i have zero expectations that they will support me in some kind of financial way the impact on that though is that it gives me the freedom to be as wacky as i want to be and i'm not knocking anybody whose channels are designed to make them a career right you know, we've got some great content out there and some local boys here as well. For example, Tay Keyboards, he reviews 
and makes amazing videos on he what's does. out there in the market, both community yeah. and OEM boards. But his level of effort is insane. It takes him anywhere between 15 to 40 hours to do one 10-minute video. Yeah, yeah. And, and he does, you know, like two to three hours of post-editing every night in between videos and stuff like that amongst fitting other things in. Whereas I fly by the seats of my pants and I give my honest first <laughs> opinion and my thoughts very cleanly and openly. And my videos are often very long-winded, which puts a lot of people off. But I like to give the depth of what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, and the understanding of where we're going with this. And topically speaking, in terms of the video content, it's not the same stuff, right? And what I mean by that is most channels, even if they're not keyboard-dedicated channels, it's review, 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 right? It's here's this new board. This is what it's like. This is what it can do. Is it worth the money, right? What's its Correct. plus and minuses? Yeah. Or it might be, oh, here's a, a cable or a desk mat. And I do that kind of content too, but where I deviate is the hands-on stuff. Like, hey, here's a tabletop bench drill, tiny little thing. Or here's a CNC machine. Or here's a, a laser engraver. Or, hey, let's try dyeing some keycaps, right? Or, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm modifying my uh, fume extractor to try and make it a hose extractor. That's the stuff that makes, I think, my content different simply because I'm exploring those peripheral boundaries, uh, Which some and, people, and, and like you, you mentioned even before, you know, some people don't don't appreciate because, again, they're expecting that uh, review. There we go. The machine is this one. This is good, and this and this and this. But yeah, should I buy I it? Yeah, should I buy it? That's <laughs> it, right? Oh, I should buy this because you say I should, right? But but yeah, but like like you were saying, you, an example on, on the fume extraction video that you did, right? And and the key and the the cardboard thing you you built around it just to try to to do it, but it, it, it's an interesting take on it, right? So you know, how can we, you know, we buy something, let's make it better, or let's try to make something different than than just uh, the review, because reviews are are reviews. You can see it on on a page. That's it, done, right? Yeah, and and I. So there's somebody locally here and he watches my videos and his partner was just like, oh, it's the mad scientist guy. And he was like, it's a compliment because of the fact that I go out of my way to explore those possibilities, right? Um, where it's a, anybody could have thought of that, but why didn't somebody do that already? Or why hasn't this been done? And sometimes, you know, I might do something, for example, when I did the conductive glue uh, yeah. attempt to hand wire a keyboard, right? Like I said in that, I'm doing it, so you won't ever have to wonder about that and you won't ever have to try it unless if you really like to get yourself in a world of hurt. But I enjoy doing that even though it can be often really frustrating because that one really was a time-consuming <laughs> process to end up with a it-kind-of-works result. So that's the direction I... I like going into and playing around with and doing weird and wacky things. Uh, I have some ideas on where I want to go next, but I just don't have the space. I don't have a workshop here in my apartment. I live in a two-bedroom apartment. It's tiny. Not yet. And Not yet. Let's see. <laughs> well, the Sydney property market is uh, pretty challenging. Well, I've, yeah, I've been following your, your podcast, remember, so I know all, <laughs> all about your, your issues with, with finding a place, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, uh, I, I do want to get some more workshop-related equipment because I have more things that I want to explore, but they tend to be my limiting issues as is the space. Uh, the, the tabletop bandsaw actually has been really fun, so making those two artisan holders was actually really fun. And which I'm are genius. On... Which are Sorry? genius, to be honest. They're genius. That, that's a genius idea to have that, that artisan uh, display was, you know, I saw the video. I found it really, really interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and there's such a simple thing to do. It's just really putting, you know, concept on paper into reality and going, does it work? Does it actually turn out to what you expect it to be? And for me, like, I love them. They're, they're right here next to my desk, next to my monitor, and, and they look great. And, and I like, I like the idea of having the, the magnets so that you can put them on a fridge. As an example, yeah, on a fridge, on a shelf, or filing yeah, cabinet, I, whatever. I, I, yeah, I like that idea too. 
Yeah, it was great. So on that note, now, um, and you were talking about it, and we spoke before, but um, with regards to your your experience with keyboards, you've created your own down bubble, right? Now, yes. a split 100%, and the thing that makes it totally different is the numpad on the middle of the board, but not in the regular orientation uh, 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 of a regular numpad, right? It's a very curious design. Yep. So what made you go with that? Because obviously you wanted to do it because you want to use it yourself. So why would you make it? Uh, do you do you favor that personally? So I have a background in anatomy. It's actually what I did my bachelor's degree in as my uh, major. And ergonomics and biometrics and things like that has always been part of my considerations in in those design spaces uh, with my sporting career you know uh, bio related bioergonomics was also something that really fascinated me because of proper technique to do certain things right for maximum efficiency and stuff like that when i started the concept of the down bubble it was because the split vea didn't have a numpad and I had a numpad, which was the snag pad designed for the 2018 meetup. I was like, it was a weird place to put it in its conventional place. So I'd had the split keyboard. There was a gap in the middle. Then onto the right-hand side was a numpad. And then there was my mouse even further out. And it got me thinking, it kind of defeats the point of having a split ergonomic keyboard if I still have to rotate and reach outside Correct. of the ergonomic space. And I was like, what happens if I put my numpad in the middle between the two keyboards because there's space there? And that's when the down bubble really started to take off. I actually printed uh, paper versions of the layout and I played around with just paper on desk. I put them into positions. I put my hands over them. I rotated left and rotated right. And what I discovered was that maintaining my personal uh, philosophy of ergonomics your elbows should be against your body right your arms should be down and relaxed shoulder width against your body and you should be just pivoting your arms in an arc and so if your hands are in the natural position typing with a angled board where does that numpad need to sit if all you're doing is pivoting at the elbows Exactly, because and otherwise it, the numpad would be straight and you would have to crook your hand to just use it Yeah, in the middle. Correct. Yeah. You have to bend your wrist if it was in a straight orientation. And that's what led to that particular angle of the numpad. Because for me, with my reach, with my finger length, I would just have to rotate my entire arm, keeping my wrist straight, and the numpad was there. And I could keep my wrist straight and in the same position and everything else. Um, and then it became the challenge of how do I angle and split the keyboard distance and set it so that it would actually fit correctly. And there was a lot of iterations and playing around in KiCad and rotating and stuff like that. I can tell you that the, the down bubble alpha blocks, they're five degree rotation, roughly. And the numpad, I couldn't tell you what the rotation is at all because I don't remember it because I had to tweak it so much to get it in that position that I was happy and comfortable with that still worked with the PCB and maintained a reasonable size. Uh, so that's actually how the numpad ended up like that. Yeah. Curious. Yeah. Curious. So would you advise any, you know, anything you would like to advise people starting on a hobby with regards to PCB design or, you know, fundamental knowledges that they should have if they want to go to the route of building, making their own boards, you did your own video about, uh, which is a very interesting video about uh, PCB uh, orientation, columns, rows, uh, that that gives you a, a very good understanding of you know how a PCB matrix works. Um, but anything you would like to advise people that's starting on you know what they should um, have as a fundamental knowledge to start doing it. Uh, I'm going to say be willing to ask questions don't don't assume that reading one single source is always going to be the best source of truth because there's lots of ways to do it 
while there are respected and uh, highly recommended resources, for example, the uh, AIO3 wiki, which I point heaps of people to because it's great and it tells you about building and using KiCad and all of the fundamentals, do not feel that you have to be pinned in to doing it that way. Innovation comes from necessity, but what makes innovation innovative is the fact that it's something novel, right? We don't get innovation if people always do things the same way. So if you ask yourself a question, why are we doing it this way? And then you follow that up with how else can we do it? That's what is going to get you into that next leap. You might discover the other ways suck. Yeah. And that's why everyone tells you that this is the best way to do it. But you should be aware of that. You should, you question should discover it, right, that at least. correctly. Uh, and you may discover an alternative that nobody else has considered. And then you test that hypothesis. And if it's worse, okay, you have that knowledge. And you can advise somebody else who is going down that journey at a later stage. Don't do this because that happened and that was terrible. Uh, or you can be like, you know what? That's amazing. And then you've made that leap and that innovation, and that can go back to the pool of knowledge, yeah. right? So in general, that's what I would say is always be willing to ask questions on why do we do this? Why doesn't that work? Has anyone done that? Can we do it that way? Makes sense, yeah. So I wanted to 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 go into a very, you know, top a very important topic for me, which is. Um, we're we're looking at at the hobby nowadays, and it's it's shifting a lot from uh, you know from uh, the original uh, building aspect and uh, the gratification you get from building it yourself, right? Which is great when you build your own keyboard. The 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 thing is you know it's yours. You feel uh, huge gratification on it compared to when you buy something off the shelf, right? Um, you you learn new skills, etc. Would you think that we're moving into a different type of hobby nowadays where people are just uh, looking at the the immediate gratification of just getting something and that's it? Do you think that we miss that in the hobby nowadays and that we should keep that part of the hobby alive? I don't think it's something that's missing. I think it's because if you're further involved in the community, you see more of the building side. There's still a lot of people who are entering the community and hobby and are perfectly satisfied to buy a pre-built board. Uh, one of the questions that you see often on, for example, reviews, as well as being asked in discords when new people join is, should I buy X, Y, and Z? They don't talk about what should I be building. A lot of them will be like, here's two or three different keyboards, uh, which one is the best suited for me. So I think that side is actually still quite prevalent and it's still quite strong. It's just that if you are already down that rabbit hole, you're probably less likely to see that if you're not in the areas where people new are joining and asking those questions. Makes sense, yeah. Now, one question that we do at the end and um, we do to everyone, but uh, if you could change something in the keyboard hobby today, what would it be? Uh, if I could change something in the keyboard hobby, what would it be? I would get rid of group buys. It would be amazing if we could be in a position where group buys were not a necessity, either from a financial perspective, from a logistics perspective, from a satisfaction, from a risk point of view. Like if it didn't have to be a group buy and products could just be made and be available and be stock, then we wouldn't have a lot of the dramas in the community that happen because of group buys. But do you think, do you see that happening soon? No, impossible. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's never going to happen. Yeah, that's gonna happen. Exactly, that's something that we, we, we would wish for, but uh, but I, I also agree, I don't see it uh, happening at all, right? Yeah. Um, so now, 2020 has been a hell of a year for everyone, not even going into the, the, the disgrace that this year has been and that everyone wants to put behind their back, but what's next for Don? You know, what's next for you, dude? Uh, I don't know. I think it's really just a, a week at a time. Whatever happens family-wise, obviously, uh, impacts my ability to make content, but we'll just keep rolling and, and see how far we can take this before either I run out of money, run out of time, <laughs> or run out of interest. So... 
Yeah. Well, you haven't run out of interest for at least four years or more than four years, so why why stop now, right? <laughs> well, you, you never know. <laughs> Maybe Endgame won't be a lie. <laughs> no, there it is, man. It is. The cake is a lie. Remember, the cake is a lie. Right. Don, I just want to thank you so, so much for, for joining us. It has been uh, a task to, to get us together because of the, the time zones. But um, guys, if, you, if you're not familiar with it, because I'm sure that you are, and if you're not, uh, everyone should definitely go and listen to the Board Podcast, which is an amazing podcast that Don does. Uh, you release it every week? I try to. Well, nowadays, obviously, you try to release every week. Um, you know, it's been a big companion of mine, and that's how uh, it was one of the um, the ways that I got introduced also into the hobby. I started listening to the board, and uh, I even sent you a message saying, like you were saying before, people do it different ways, and I was listening to your podcast when I would go to work in the morning on the train. So, you know. If you guys are not familiar with it, I'm going to put all the links on the on the show notes for you guys. But um, but you definitely should should listen to it because uh, you know Don has very very good um, very good takes on a lot of things that happen on the keyboard hobby and uh, you know very good ideas uh, that he that that he shares with us. So Don, thank you so much again for for joining me. I really appreciate your time. Um, I hope that everything goes well uh, with your little one. Uh, with your family uh, and yeah and, and we'll see each other soon I guess right indeed indeed thank you very much for having me on and uh, yeah I wish the show here the thock all the best and hopefully we'll see it in four years as well hopefully hopefully I don't know that if that's going to happen but hey I'm going to try <laughs>